0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Let's Talk About It. This is Susan Johnson, and my co-host is off doing great things today. But we have a fabulous show for you today. And you know what? That's because it's Mental Health Awareness Month, and we also have somebody who will be here to talk to us about the great things that are going on in Connecticut, whether it's legislatively or whether it's being conducted by an organization called Mental Health Connecticut. And it's run by... uh, Luis Perez, uh, and uh, welcome to the show, Luis Perez.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Susan.
0: And so tell us a little bit about your background, and I know you're a licensed social worker, uh, and also uh, you run this organization, so tell me a little bit about how this came to be.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Again, um, we are a statewide organization, and Mental Health Connecticut is celebrating its 115th anniversary. We are very proud of the fact that we were founded by Clifford Beers, and Clifford was a uh, young man in his uh, late 20s when he started experiencing symptoms of what back then was called manic depressive disorder, and he. then today known as bipolar, and he uh, was a Yale graduate. He was, uh, came from a family of means uh, from Greenwich. He uh, was working in um, Wall Street, and due to his diagnosis and, and subsequent institutionalization, he experienced what we would call today a loss of privilege, Uh, due to his mental health condition, not because of his statuses uh, in terms of being a a white, male, wealthy uh, individual. Uh, So he started a movement um, that has blossomed uh, through the last 115 years. Uh, He also founded uh, the National uh, Society for uh, Mental Hygiene, which today is Mental Health America, and I will probably be talking a little bit about the work that MHA has been doing. But Mental Health Connecticut uh, is, uh, as I said, a statewide organization that supports individuals in the community. We address the social determinants of health uh, and support people around uh, their treatment. Uh, Our four areas of focus are home, health, purpose, and community. And I would challenge anybody to say that not only are those things important for people with mental health conditions, I think that those are um, the basic ingredients for successful uh, human beings to be part of our communities.
0: I'd have to agree um, with you 100%. I think that, that is, uh, that's a good way to summarize what it is that each aspect of uh, how we live, where we live, what we do, Uh, is is going to be uh, addressed and has to be, as we move forward in our society and I think as our society uh, becomes more civilized, at least we hope, uh, that these things would uh, develop uh, into things that can be used by every single person no matter where they live.
1: That's exactly right. And I don't think that we should define individuals by their diagnosis. We should define them by what they need to be able to meet their hopes and dreams. We all have hopes and dreams. And sometimes, unfortunately, systems and institutions uh, define people and um, they create a construct where uh, people are not able to be their uh, genuine self and be able to be contributing uh, members of our uh, society and their communities uh, by virtue of being negated access um, uh, due to their uh, mental health diagnosis.
0: Exactly. And that is an important aspect and uh, something that we have to really come to grips with, I think. Uh, And I just want to just take this over maybe a bit toward how we deal with behavioral health situations in our schools because I think a lot of that, when you talk about community and health uh, and home, and even purpose, particularly purpose perhaps, uh, how the school system is dealing with behavioral health with special education is something that, uh, that is um, different in every single community somehow and sometimes because of the funding that the state provides and the federal government provides. And when you get to a poor community, it's very, very limited in terms of access to the special needs of the child.
1: That's absolutely right. And I think that we also have a situation where we uh, blame the victims. Um, and not that I want to victimize or say that people with uh, either a learning disability or a child with special needs uh, is a victim. On the contrary, um, I, I, I love the uh, tag uh, 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 line from the American School for the Deaf in, in West Hartford, um, their tagline is always able. Good. And I think that we need to focus on the ability that people have um, and children have and their families have, not so much focus on the deficits or the lack of supports, but rather how do we identify what the strengths are and how do we then augment those uh, strengths to support people around uh, their own journey. Uh, Because uh, if you have seen one child and you have seen one family, you have seen one child and you have seen one family.
0: Oh, that's so very, very true. And that's the problem sometimes with the diagnosis, particularly with a child, because the child's brain is developing. There are all Mm -hmm. kinds of different things going on, uh, social interactions, maybe family problems, maybe poverty. Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes we forget that poverty can be a huge contributor to mental illness
1: absolutely uh it it, it, it it i think that um I, I would challenge that in saying that it does not contribute to the um um uh, diagnosis i mean people are who they are um but it does oppression and um uh, uh discrimination um and and I'm talking about um Fiscal discrimination, right? People who are poor or uh, are further oppressed by our system and don't have the ability. Um, How can a parent that uh, is living in one of our uh, urban settings, like, you know, Bridgeport or Hartford or New Haven, uh, just to name three, uh, Waterbury, where we provide services, uh, how? What is the message that's being sent to them, and how can a parent who is probably having to uh, work two or three jobs uh, 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 during the week in order to make ends meet, uh, how can they really be there to support their family? Uh, So, of course, they're going to meet the basic needs of the family through employment and, therefore, um, they're uh, improving their financial status, but then we hold them to – standards about oh well you didn't show up for uh your kids um um uh, teacher conference well did you hold it at a time that the person could have it or did you give them a um a, a, a date and time that they could not accommodate yeah those so are I true
0: yeah go ahead i'm sorry
1: No, no. Go ahead, please. Oh, I was
0: just thinking about we have in some school districts like here in Willimantic uh, slash Windham, we have uh, we have the liaisons for the from the school to the home to the family, uh, and sometimes that helps uh, address some of the things you're just Mm -hmm. talking about. So, uh, but you don't get those things without more support from the state and from the federal government. And I know that President Biden had been trying to add okay. more resources off for special needs and special education students. And uh, we have worked very hard at that. But nevertheless, it really does fall on the local community primarily. $1.6 billion is funded by the local community uh, for special education. And if you're in a urban area that already doesn't have any taxable property, that's going to be a very hard thing to address.
1: That, that's absolutely correct. And, and again, um, it is uh, holding people to an accountability without support.
0: Right, and exactly. One
1: of, our, one of our values at Mental Health Connecticut is, is that you cannot hold people accountable, and that goes for our program participants as well as our staff. And the communities we work um, in—that you know, without support, um, accountability is is then um, jeopardized.
0: Perfect. That's a good segue into how how are we getting that support to people and some of the legislation that's been passed over the last a mm-hmm. year or so. I know last year was a it was a great uh, moment for a mental health reform, especially for young ones. Uh, tell us yep. a little bit about the work that you did to help uh, bring those uh, pieces of legislation to fruition.
1: Absolutely. So um, our journey actually started. Um, well, it has been ongoing, but. Uh, in the last, in in, in the latest legislative uh, processes, uh, we started by being true to our mission, which is to improve right uh, yep. mental health services. And um, uh, often we forget that um, uh, only a very small percentage of the pep- population in Connecticut receives services from state. Um, um, uh, 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 insurance, such as, you know, Medicaid. Um, so, well, I just to want to sure. stop
0: you right there for just a second because that is a classic thing that we have to look at, uh, and I really appreciate your emphasizing that initially because uh, not getting the resources uh, from the insurance industry, which is really supposed mm-hmm. to help pay for these things, but also our best payer is the Medicaid program, uh, not so much the private insurance industry.
1: That's exactly right. And I think that uh, Connecticut was a leader in parity. In fact, uh, back in 2001, when the uh, federal parity law was passed, Mental Health Connecticut was instrumental in informing and providing uh, the uh, uh, information that uh, Senator Dodd could bring back uh, so that Connecticut, which already had a parity law, um, would augment uh at the federal level what was necessary. So uh we were instrumental at that point in making sure that the state law uh was the floor, not the ceiling. Uh so we started that journey back then and uh about four years ago uh we were able to pass um through the Connecticut uh uh parity coalition and their efforts which we um spearheaded uh we were able to get a variety of stakeholders uh, to be part of the coalition. And and it spans from um, uh, professional uh, uh, associations like uh, the American uh, Psychological uh, Association in Connecticut, uh, NAMI, uh, uh, excuse me, NASW Connecticut, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But we also have faith-based organizations um, promoting this. Uh, We also had Uh, um, the uh, general stakeholders like NAMI and Connecticut Legal Rights Project, et cetera, uh, involved. And we were able to pass a first uh, attempt at strengthening Connecticut's parity law, uh, which uh, for those that are listening and are not familiar with parity, uh, parity is the requirement that private insurance has to uh, provide the same level of services or or, uh, benefits Um, on their behavioral health, which includes mental health and substance use services, as they would for primary care or other specialty care.
0: Yeah, so Uh, let me just uh, emphasize that a little bit because I think that if you go uh, to the doctor because you fell and broke your hip, uh, you know that, you're, that you know what the treatment's going to be, and um, you know, depending on your overall condition, you could have heart disease or not, uh, or you could have um, uh, diabetes or not. And so, the length of time and the type of treatment you're going to get is going to be uh, based on your overall condition. Now, I think that that can be applied to the same circumstance with respect to uh, people who have a behavioral health diagnosis, depending on the level of, say, the bipolar disorder or the schizophrenia uh, those kinds of things uh, also uh, you would have a different level in each case nevertheless there is a way to make a determination as to what would be necessary and these are lifelong situations they're not they're not something that goes away like a fractured hip but nevertheless uh, having the treatment that's available to them and you can correct me if I'm wrong uh, is uh, should be fairly well uh, standardized depending on the level of care and the period of time and the stressors that the person is
1: undergoing you're absolutely right, and that's exactly uh, our point, and that um, the levels of uh, uh, um, authorization for behavioral health diagnoses uh, are further more strenuous than you would for a heart condition, cancer condition, any of the um, um, usual specialties, but certainly not for primary care. And, and yes, those are conditions that are much more um, uh, debilitating, if you will. Uh, although I, I know people that uh, with those kinds of conditions, including, including schizophrenia, who are incredibly able and 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 um, and their ability to be a part of, of what I was saying before, in terms of being part of, of their community and their uh, and pursuing their purpose, uh, are um, have proven uh, to be uh, incredibly um, uh, well-founded.
0: I agree, and I think one of the movies I think that best points that out is um, you may be familiar with A Beautiful Mind.
1: Yes, of course.
0: That movie, uh, and the brilliance of the person uh, who had the schizophrenia, the mathematician in that movie, yeah. uh, he learned how to deal with his schizophrenia. He learned what it was. He learned what the triggers were. He learned when he was having the hallucinations, and they were pretty, pretty extreme. <clears throat> yeah. Never, nevertheless, he learned how to deal with it, and I think that teaching people about that, because really, I mean, and this is something that I'd love to see uh, your organization and other organizations look at is the brain structure, because it is a brain structural difference and uh, the size of the corpus callosum and that sort of thing, uh, these how the neurotransmitters take information from one place to the next. These are the things that, uh, you know, are really uh, part of the, the, the change that goes on, the difference that occurs in a bipolar disorder person or a schizophrenic. That's,
1: that's exactly right. And the other piece around uh, parity that I think is important to um, point out is that because a lot of these um, uh, conditions um, manifest themselves either in late, um, uh, well, some some would argue that they're always being manifested even earlier on in in childhood. And and because we do, um, uh, uh, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning, I am a clinical social worker. My work, And training started in child and adolescence. So um, I I understand, the uh, even though I work with adults now, which has given me a great foundation for understanding how we need to address the needs of adults, because they were children at one point. Um, But, you know, a lot of these um, conditions manifest themselves in late adolescence, early uh, adulthood. And what do we do? We... um, create barriers for parents who would be willing to keep their kids in their private insurance uh, uh, until age 26 under under ACA. And um, uh, yet we tell them, no, you can't access, or their insurance carrier says we can't access. What's their option? Their option is to drop them, put them on Medicaid. In order to put them on Medicaid, we are now having to deem them disabled. So what is the message that we're sending these young people who still have hopes and dreams? They happen to have a condition no different than somebody who has diabetes or perhaps cancer or, you know, any of the others. And we're telling them we're going to disable you. Don't worry about it. You're going to get a check every month. We're going to get. It is so antithetical to the um, development and the developmental states that they're in, in terms of being able to um, hold themselves and grow into uh, adulthood.
0: Are you just and, to describe. I, I'm sorry.
1: Go ahead. No, no. I, so, it, so it is. A, by the way, it's 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 not only horrible for the individual, but it's also cost shifting because now the state has to assume that. Um, uh,
0: liability. Well, yeah, and then the state shifts it to the local municipality, but uh, oh yeah. So don't forget, the state has removed itself over and over and over again from, uh, you know, the municipalities, and uh, so now you have the poorest communities providing the most of the services, and other surrounding towns saying don't understand why the poor communities are having such a hard time addressing the needs of their, the people that live there. Not not all the people who live in the poor communities are are poor. <laughs> they're middle class, they're businesses, they're all kinds of things. And so uh, it's really uh, something that is, um, it's, n- people don't understand. And I have, um, uh, one of the things that I say to people, I talk to groups uh, that are not necessarily in my district, but nobody understands what the community next to them is doing. They don't know what kind of town government they have. They don't know what kind of economics they have. They don't know what the uh, demographics are. They don't know what kind of transportation access they have. They just don't know what's going on in the town next door. And they don't know the, uh, the cost to the people who are living in those towns because we have 169 municipal states, and we're. I'm going to come right back after these messages, and we're going to have more discussion about Mental Health Awareness, Mental Health Month, with our wonderful guest today, and who is the CEO of Mental Health Connecticut, and uh, Mr. Perez, we will be right back after these messages, and we'll stay on the line, uh, and we'll be talking, uh, and it will be recorded at the same time after these, after we go.
1: Sounds like a plan.
0: Okay. So has uh, we are recorded. I'm here in the studio. Uh, our conversation can be continued, uh, and then it's going to be uh, put on cable access, but it also goes on my webpage, and you will get a copy of the podcast as well.
1: Perfect. Okay. Thank you so much.
0: Sure. So is, uh, that, is this
1: going the way you want it?
0: Yes, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, you're doing very, very well. I do want to, you know, I know that we've gotten into some really uh, more detailed than we maybe should have gone over some of the you know thousand feet of things, but
1: <laughs> I, listen, it, it, the conversation is organic and we go where it needs to go. Yeah,
0: well, that's how I feel about the show, and I think that we're giving a lot of information, and I think that's the most important thing. But I want to make sure it's going as you would like to have it go as well. Oh, so I, tell I, me, I,
1: I appreciate that, but truly, it's it's. Uh, you, you know your audience, and, and I'll take your lead.
0: Okay. Very good. But I think that maybe you're going to go on to, well, your advocacy has been very good. Anything else we want to cover about advocacy?
1: Um, no. I think that we are um, in the middle of Mental Health Month. Uh, I think that the uh, access issues, um, I don't know if you want to go there. Yes. Uh, in terms of the funding for the, from the state. Absolutely. Um, Okay, then I'd be happy to talk that's, about that. That's that's
0: fine, and let me just say I was um, I was honored to be asked to uh, go to the National Conference of State Legislators and Council of State Governments Seed Coalition to work with other legislators nationally on mental health issues. One of the things that came up, and we were fortunate to have people from the Federal Department of Labor because from my end of it, because I've done Social Security disability cases and that sort of thing, um, from my end of the spectrum it was how do we get people employed uh, with these conditions and Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of supports would we have? And the thing that we kept running into through the entire, uh, I was at a, it was two days in, in uh January and two days just this last April, just a few weeks ago. Uh is the fact that um we have a situation where the insurance industry just doesn't want to play.
1: Of course not.
0: <laughs> 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 just saying. <laughs> oh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How gee. Nobody knew that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and and, so, and you yeah. you described a perfect thing just before we took uh went on for a yeah. commercial break about how uh they wanna try and put people on the disability program and yeah. then uh, just forget about them because what happens then uh well that, <laughs> then they're the yeah. first the state and then the local community ends up with the with a f with a total burden of the cost yeah. and yeah. it really should be shared. Insurance gets enough money to be able to pay for the cost of these things and help people move forward Absolutely. with their lives instead of putting a putting yeah. them into a stumbling block of of all these different types of programs that everybody's always looking to cut.
1: Wouldn't it be cool to have a partnership? You just triggered something in my mind uh, where um, maybe the state provides the social determinants because they're that set against you know providing social determinants as a reimbursable because, quote-unquote, it's not medically uh, necessary. Uh, But wouldn't it be cool if they provided the services um, for uh, those kinds of things and the state provides the social determinants?
0: Yes, absolutely. One of the things that I've been working on for about five years at the Capitol is to make sure that the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families program goes for the whole 60 months instead of the 21 yeah. months at creating poverty and homelessness for uh, women and children and also shifting the cost again to the local community.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, mm-hmm. that, 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 uh, We should talk some more about that offline. Oh, absolutely.
0: I'm I'm working on a group. I'm working on putting together a big yeah. group.
1: <laughs> awesome. Awesome. But I happy have to uh, yeah, yeah. Happy to uh in any way, shape or form that you deem uh appropriate, I'd be happy to do that. And perhaps that could be one of the things that the um caucus can take on.
0: Yes. Well I'm I'm working, working, working because we have hit Something called the spending cap. And I know. That, oh, and, I haven't heard about that. <laughs> yes. We can talk after this show, actually.
1: Great. You've yeah, got three, two,
0: one. Welcome back, everyone. This is Susan Johnson. I'm here today talking about Mental Health Month, and we are talking about this with Mental Health Connecticut. And we have uh, Mr. Uh, Perez on the air here with us, the President and CEO of the Corporation Mental Health Connecticut. So uh, welcome back again and we were just talking about how the insurance industry does make a cost shift to the state and then to the local community and uh, you know those economic determinants uh, really have a big impact on us all and we've been seeing uh, the impact of having uh, these the costs shifted uh, to uh, the local communities. It's uh, it's not fair. It happened at a time when actually the local communities lost. Uh, You know, a lot of the manufacturing tax base that they used to have. And uh, all kinds of things since then have been placed in the lap of the local community and the local property taxpayers. And, of course, in Connecticut, that makes it very difficult because we have 169 uh, municipal states. So, and that's a little joke. (laughs) 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 But anyway, uh, so uh, so we're just going to go into some of the... We're talking about advocacy, but how about some of the education services because that's one of the things that you highlight on your web page.
1: Absolutely. You know, we we operationalize our mission um, to partner with uh, individuals, families, and communities to ensure long-term health and wellness. And uh, notice that uh, mental health is not in there. Uh, I would argue that uh, mental health, uh, you cannot have – whole health without mental health, Uh, and and I informed that because um, several years ago, uh, we had the unfortunate uh, experience in our family that my sister was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Now, for those who don't know, only 4% of women with ovarian cancer are able to, um, uh, are are survivors of of that cancer and, and be able to go into remission. And it's been, um, I believe, 17 years uh, since that diagnosis and, and 10 years of, of remission. Wow. And the one thing that she was advised, and, 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 and again, uh, you know, privilege and, and is, is important. Uh, her husband's a physician with, uh, at that time, uh, the St. Francis Network. And so they had a great cancer center that served her very well. And, but her first question was, oh, gee, should I go to Massachusetts? Should I go to New York? And they said, no, we have access to the latest technology we share with other cancer centers in terms of treatment. The most important piece is your support network. Absolutely. People that survive, right, yep. uh, and, and are able to overcome is because they have a strong stay here you have a strong network. You have good support. And here we are. So I informed that from that perspective. And I think that it is important for us to remember that uh, many people and, and, and you know, uh, the trajectory, uh, while I don't want to um, um, uh, generalize, but the trajectory is usually that, you know, people start self-medicating in terms of those um, symptoms. It could be through well, today, legal um, marijuana or um, um, alcohol, um, but they also may venture into illegal substances in, in terms of um, managing those symptoms. So they start breaking down um, those um, uh, natural support systems like family, friends, uh, all the things that we know that, um, unfortunately, substance use and ab- really particularly abuse uh, will start to uh, deteriorate. So um, our community health uh, initiative, um, uh, is, which is the second prong, advocacy is our first prong, advocacy is our second, and services is our third. Uh, the community uh, education prong of our um, three-legged uh, um, stool is about providing knowledge, right? Knowledge is power, and if you have that knowledge, you can empower yourself, to be able to not only self-advocate but also be able to reach out and, and be able to access the services that you need.
0: That's right, and, I, and that is so important to be able to. One of the reasons I like to do this show is to give people the power of knowledge, and, the, and then we try and get the information out to people on who to contact, what's out there, because a lot of times people just don't know to contact and what what opportunities are out there and what uh, services and what's paid for and that's one of the problems with the insurance industry is mm-hmm. they certainly make a lot of money with their contracts with uh, you know providing for health care access but then they don't They don't fulfill their duty uh, when they deny people coverage by saying, oh, well, why don't you go on Social Security Disability instead of having us cover you uh, for the behavioral health services? And it's also had a horrible impact, I think, uh, and you can correct me if I'm um, wrong, but I think it's had a very bad impact on how many people we have available as psychiatrists and psychologists and the payment that the social workers get, all of them because they don't get the coverage through the insurance industry that kind of partners with people, um, if you look at the the fact that you might have uh, Medicare and or Medicaid, uh, you know, as as secondary and tertiary options, um, you know, having that primary uh, be the private insurance industry uh, is something that really should be the way it rolls, but uh, they've just backed down on their duty.
1: That's exactly right, and, and and frankly, to me, it's a consumer protection issue as yes. well.
0: Well, actually, let's to... not confuse the Department of Consumer Protection with the insurance department because the insurance department uh, actually is in control of whether or not the insurance industry is in compliance with the, with the contracts that they have either with a business or with, uh, you know, a private individual or under the Affordable Care Act. So that's where people go with their consumer complaints. And let me just yeah. add one thing that's been yeah. a particular uh, point of annoyance to me, and that is the fact that the Unfair Insurance Practices Act does not apply to workers' compensation. And so this is something I've been trying to change for years and years. And what happens is if you get an injury at work or you suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, we have to go somewhere else to try and get the coverage for that. But mm-hmm. workers' compensation will not provide this coverage possibilities. And also they have a spider web of appeals processes that favor the business over the person.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that's, a, that's an excellent point and, and, and no no correction there. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're, you're obviously very well informed and an incredible advocate for your uh, constituents thank so you I, for I, that. Appreci- I, I appreciate that um well you know we we don't always have these conversations in such a uh amicable way so uh <laughs> it, it, it's nice to find a a a, a good ear well, i'm gonna uh, have to have you back it. then <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> and, 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 and and I would like to take this opportunity to um, thank you and Senator Somers for um, agreeing to co-chair um, Connecticut's uh, newly formed um, Mental Health Coala- uh, uh, Caucus. Um, Connecticut is joining uh, six other states, um, being Colorado, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Mexico, and Oregon. Uh, in having a mental health coalition or a, a caucus, and uh, and your leadership uh, is greatly appreciated. And it is so refreshing to see a um, bicameral and bipartisan approach. Because let's face it, um, whether you're a senator or a representative, whether you're a Republican, Independent, or um, Democrat, um, or, or whatever other party affiliation. Mental health is not discriminating. (laughs) We're we're human beings, and we are going to um, uh, uh, feel the effects of mental health. Um, Take a look at what's happened through the pandemic, right? If there's uh, the unfortunate, you know, uh, uh, consequences of the pandemic, the lives that were lost both here in Connecticut and nationally are staggering. But the good news is, is that people started to talk about mental health at the kitchen table it's come out of the closet people are actually saying you know what i don't have what we call the big you know d diagnosis uh such as major depression schizophrenia um uh, bipolar uh, but i am feeling these things because i am a human being and i need help around it so um so it is Go
0: ahead. Yeah, let me just uh, stop you there because I think that one of the things that we, uh, we, we kind of uh, the post-traumatic stress disorder uh, from yeah. the traumas, and this goes to what I was saying about workers' compensation. Uh, we have our first responders that see some of the most horrible things. And, of course, I was a public health chair back during Sandy Hook, and uh, the, the, the first responders that had to come into that situation uh it was absolutely devastating some are still trying to recover from that mm-hmm. yeah. so we have people in those circumstances every day they're out there protecting us they're saving us mm-hmm. and but they're confronted with really very scary things uh, bad bad situations and uh our our workers compensation industry isn't stepping up they're not stepping up there's no no help there and uh, there is a kind of a uh, also a concern about oh well uh, once you have PTSD uh, you know what will happen to your job. So there's there are a lot of concerns about how we handle things. But if we were just to able to address the situations as they come, and if the young ones uh, get whatever it is they need to understand as their brains develop, if we spent more time on brain development, if we spent mm-hmm. more time on what happens to everybody in, in Different different types of people, different types of brains uh, that are hit with post-traumatic stress disorder, or that have the bipolar disorder, or even a, a an injury. If you uh, mm-hmm. have an injury, if you fall and uh, hurt your hurt your head, right? Or you get mm-hmm. some type of a, a injury that way. What impact would that? Does that have an impact on behavioral health? It might. Uh, It might actually trigger some other type of behavioral health issue uh, that uh, goes on. So I think that we need to be looking at the physiological aspects and Mm -hmm. trying to make more sense of that now that we have the human genome, now that we have all this technology. I think that the way to pursue parity will be to take a look at the brain structure and see the impacts of the brain structure on behavioral health.
1: That that's absolutely correct because trauma does affect the brain, um, and of course the brain uh, regulates everything that we uh, deal with in terms of emotions or a particular um, uh, situational uh, depression uh, or anxiety. Um, let, let take homelessness for example. Yes. Um, you know what what person who is either um, who's experiencing housing insecurity. I don't know about you, but I would be incredibly anxious if I was not going to be able to have a roof over my head or provide my family with a roof over their head. And um, and and anxiety often leads to depression because then you feel hopeless. And um, so those are the kinds of things that, yes, the state uh, should definitely be paying attention to and, and informing itself through what you suggested in terms of um, uh, science. Uh, but I also think that there is a need for us to understand that uh, it's not only up to the state. Um, and, and let me give you an example. Um, earlier on on the pandemic, um, we received a call from the Connecticut um, uh, Credit Union League. And they, they had a concern because they were hearing from a lot of their members that a lot of the uh, credit unions, which often are small, right, uh, organizations with maybe a teller and a manager or maybe not even a manager at a local office, they and they also serve a lot of our first responders um, and healthcare workers, people who are coming in unloading, right, mm-hmm. uh, their, their grief during their transaction to their um Customers who have, they have known and wanted to show empathy. Um, so we put together a, a series of webinars so that not only were they being given the tools to be able to um, uh, address what was presented to them by their customer, but also in terms of self-care, what, you know, what we in the industry uh, called compassion fatigue. So we gave them the tools to be able to also take care of themselves parallel process, but it's a great example of how private uh, organizations or, or, or um, businesses can take care of their uh, employees, um, and, and so um, the return, uh, another example is the return of um, people that were balancing uh, 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 perhaps taking care of an elderly uh, um, um, member of their family, pooling at home, working from home, and the return back to, uh, uh, the workforce, uh, as we are moving away from virtual, um, um, uh, uh
0: Model to, into, and, in person and, 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 and the, the combo, that, the combination yeah. too. I mean, the combination. Uh, we are just transitioning in the legislature uh, over the last year, and uh, you know we have had virtual. Now we've combined virtual with in person, and uh, it is in some ways more convenient, but in some ways uh, it's it's uh, actually more demanding. Uh, so it is kind of an interesting uh, transition that we're going through uh with the change and I think uh you might agree with this also the fact we uh, we've been through this covid situation now we have covid as part of our life just like uh you know uh we have to be careful of it uh and uh you know I think that these the loss of family members or the loss of time uh with the grandchildren or uh, whatever other losses we've incurred uh, these are things that will stay with us, and this is something that we've, we've shared as a society, but there's been a lot of resistance and understanding uh, just exactly what this trauma has meant to us as a society and how, uh, how we can, uh, you know, c- come together at least understanding that it was a problem.
1: Yeah. No, that, that's absolutely right. And, um, and again, uh, as an organization that has been around for 115 years and we have evolved, We evolved one more time and we pivoted and we were able to uh, not only meet the needs during this pandemic, but on an ongoing basis, we have uh, established a new program called the MHC Collaborative, which is to work with employers who are uh, self-identifying right? as my workforce is important to me and uh, uh, mental health in the workforce uh, or in the workplace is an important thing. Uh, so we have started this new program, and it has so far, um, you know, we we uh, uh, started it in, in, in July of this past year, and, and we have had great outcomes uh, in terms of people reaching out and saying we want to uh, address our workforce. So okay. I think that there's hope. There's hope there, right? Yeah,
0: there is, and I think that you're going to see uh, that the employers that do take that on will see a big increase in productivity. We're running out of yeah. time, but before we go, I just wanted to thank you for your work on CHESS, which is helping the homeless get housed, and the fact that Medicaid uh, can help uh, pay for some of those costs.
1: That's exactly right. And, and, and again, this is a program that started um, in a uh, – uh, Pilot. um, I give uh, the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, uh, and in collaboration with the Department of Housing and DSS, uh, great credit because they uh, identified that there was a gap for those individuals that would normally go through the coordinated access network, which is the you know 211 uh, uh, info line uh, assistance for uh, securing. Uh, housing and, and supporting people, but there were people that needed a little extra help, right? right. A little more case management, and this pro- the CHESS program addresses exactly that. Yep. And again, uh, Mental Health Connecticut is, is a proud member of the CHESS uh, provider serve, uh, system.
0: Well, I just can't thank you enough, uh, Luis Perez, for being on. Let's talk about it. And I hope you're able to come back and join us again and tell us about the updates and perhaps how well we do uh, at the end of this session with uh, 5001, has Bill 5001 is coming up. Yeah. And uh, it should have a more positive impact uh, and kind of, include that progression that we need to see in our society. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, this is Susan Johnson uh, on Let's Talk About It next week. We have a great show and next week also we'll be talking to Joe Tominelli about Veterans Memorial Day.